Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Well, it's good to see everybody today. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and open it to the book of Acts. And we are on the last chapter, and uh, it's been a, uh, I think we've almost spent 20 weeks in this, uh, in this book together, and uh, what a joy it's been. Acts chapter 28, um, turn over there, um, we're going to be following, following through in that last chapter of the book, and uh, let's just pray together. Let's ask God to just speak to us through his word today. That sound good? Father, thank you that, uh, Lord, your word is just so powerful. God, as today we, uh, we reflect on it. Father, I pray that you'd open up our hearts, open up our minds to just hear from you. God, you, you uh, used your servant uh, Luke to be able to write an account of the acts of the apostles. And God, today as we gather as your church, we know that we are a continuation of that story about your church. And God, uh, we just pray that you just give us eyes to see um, the healing that is in our hands God, that you've given to us by your blood. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Acts 28. Um, we'll open up with that first verse, Acts 28, verse 1. And it says there that uh, after we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. So if you have not been with us over the past few weeks, or especially if you missed last week, what we know uh, about, uh, about uh, Paul is that uh, he was a missionary, an evangelist, who God had converted miraculously and called to be an apostle, someone that, that was sent out to go and share the message of the gospel. And uh, we know that uh, he had a burden upon him to go to Jerusalem. He had, after he'd gone to Jerusalem, been arrested for preaching the gospel and uh, then put in prison for a couple of years before he went on a series of a few trials and then sent to Rome. Last week, what happened? He was shipwrecked, right? You think, after all this, man, God said, you're going to go to Rome. He was blown off course. 100, 200 and like 76 other people on this ship, lots of them were prisoners as well, blown way off course and shipwrecked on this island called Malta in, in, in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. He was way far away from where he was planning on being, man. Um, Malta was not a vacation destination, I'll tell you that. Um, Malta was not even on Paul's list in his, his missionary journey itinerary. Now, it was not Paul's plan to go to Malta, okay? And I, I will tell you also, um, this felt like a setback to Paul. How many of you have had a setback in your life before? Yeah. It landed on your own proverbial island of Malta where you're like, God, what are you doing? I thought I'd be at this place in life and now I'm like way back here, taking steps way back from where I think that, God, you've called me. Maybe, maybe you're feeling like, man, I, you know, I, I thought I'd be married by now, or I thought I'd have some children by now, I thought I'd have this level of education right now, or I thought I'd be at this, this point in my health right now, and yet here I am, where I'm at, this feels like a setback. Can I just tell you that what may feel like a setback 
may be God's setup for his purpose that he wants you to walk in. And the only way that you know it is to continue to have faith in Jesus Christ and to walk in faith of him. And that's what Paul did. And so we're going to learn from this story how to make the most out of Malta, how to make the most out of Malta. And we're going to follow this story as we see how Paul responds to what he endured. Let's go to verse 2. Verse 2, it says that the native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and it was cold. Can I tell you, when they landed on this island, the islanders were not used to having visitors. And if they were visitors, they probably thought that these visitors were going to be a threat to them, okay? And, uh, and so, so there, there are some that when they read this passage, they wonder actually if these islanders were actually cannibals and if usually they just killed the guests that came to the island, okay? Obviously, God showed favor to, uh, to, to these 276 people. They realized that they were not a threat and uh, the, the enemies, that, you know, these, these people that could have been enemies, turned into friends for Paul and for his friends. Now, actually to the point where they started helping them start a fire. Here they are, washed up on this desert island. They're cold, they're wet, they're hungry, and they're tired. And here is Paul and all his friends going around gathering sticks, picking up stick after stick after stick. You know, they're trying to build a fire to warm themselves. And then as you read, it says that that as Paul is gathering stick, all of a sudden, a viper jumps out and nails him on the hand, doesn't it? Yeah, a viper jumps out, okay? Paul has just been shipwrecked. And you can probably think, man, what in the world? (laughs) When am I going to catch a break? I just was shipwrecked. And now I've been bit by a viper. Okay, here's Paul. Now, the islanders were also making observations, and it says in verse 4 that when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. For for, for, For though he's escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Can I ask you, who likes snakes? All right. Or who's like Indiana Jones that would say, I hate snakes. Okay, more, more of us. I'm in that camp as well. Okay. Now, this, this snake that bit Paul was, was actually very dangerous. It was a viper. And it had, had a very poisonous venom. And that's why you see in verse 4, they were just waiting for Paul all, all of a sudden to keel over and die. And I'll tell you, you know, here, here in West Virginia, we, we have a poisonous snake. Uh, one, that, one that's pretty common is called the copperhead. And uh, I have a hard time from, from a dist- the distance that I like to keep away from the snake, being able to identify whether it's a copperhead or not. Uh, my son, Jesse, he loves snakes. And so, man, if he, for some reason where we live now, we're getting, we have a lot of snakes that come off of the hill. And so, man, there was probably four big snakes that we killed this past summer. And I probably shouldn't have killed them because they were probably good, but I didn't know at the time. And so I've always telling Jesse, Jesse, don't play with a snake unless you actually know what it is. Because even the smallest snakes, 
That's usually the copperheads. And uh, the smaller they are, the more poisonous they are because they cannot control the amount of venom that they put in you while they're so young. Now, I hope that helps you, but, but here's Paul. He's, been, he's, he's had this viper inject venom into him, and these people are saying, man, he must have deserved it. What did they say about Paul? I said, he must be a murderer. They believed that justice had a claim on Paul's life because of his past. Now, if you know Paul, and I believe that there were some others in, uh, in, in, in that camp that also knew Paul. Obviously, there was Luke that was with him. He probably had some other travelers that had heard the story of Paul's past and his miraculous salvation. Who was Paul in the past? He was a murderer. He was a murderer. It said there in the book of Acts that he was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's people. He, he was going into city after city. He, he was grabbing them, capturing them, putting them in prison, you know, letting them be tortured, may, maybe even the, putting them into, into the, the games for them to, them to gawk at while, while they were eaten by lions. That's what Paul was in his former life before God had saved him. And yet these people who don't even know Paul are saying, he must be, be a murderer. And the people around him are like, yeah, actually, he is. That's who he was. Maybe justice demands that he die for his sin. You know, I, I believe at that moment, even though Paul recognized, yeah, these people are right, he probably realized at that moment also, justice has been satisfied for me at the cross. Because Jesus himself, he took the poison that I deserve when he gave his life on the cross for me. Justice has been satisfied for me at the cross. He took the poison so that the cup that I can drink now can be sweet. And that, that's, that's, you know, when, when Paul experienced that, the people thought that he deserved justice because of his past. You know, we can think of ourselves. We can, we can base our, our view on ourselves based on our past, but we need to look at ourselves through the lens of Jesus Christ and what he has done, what he offers for you. And that's, that's a lot what this message is, is all about. I, uh, this week, looked up some of the symptoms of a snake bite. And, uh, and I, I want to share them with you. If you want to write them down, this may help save your life if you've, you are ever bitten by a poisonous snake. Um, the first symptom of a snake bite is, number one, it's, it's blurry vision. Blurry vision. You, you start not to being able to see things clearly. You start to lose your vision. The second symptom of a snake bite is vertigo, meaning things start spinning. You don't know what's up or down, left or right. You're disoriented. The third symptom then is, when it gets very severe, it's paralysis. You can't move anymore. Your body has a hard time moving its, its joints, okay? So, blurry vision, vertigo, and paralysis. I believe that there were three reasons why the snake tried to bite Paul and also why we have a snake that also wants to try and bite us. Satan wants to try and bite us with his venom. Number one, I believe the snake wants to bite you to stop you from working. The snake wants to bite you to stop you from working. Here, here's the apostle Paul. He's tired. He's hungry. 
He's worn out. They'd been in this storm for over two weeks. They, they'd washed up on shore. They probably had to swim for their lives. And now instead of just taking a break and sitting over in his recliner and telling everyone else to pick up sticks, here Paul is. He is serving. He is working. And I'll tell you what, this, the devil likes to attack you when you are working and when you are close to the fire. I, uh, I even uh, heard this week of some ways that you can be attentive to when you may be susceptible to Satan's attack. And it's, it's an acrostic, um, the word halt, okay? Watch out for Satan's attack when you are hungry, when you are alone, when you are lonely, and when you are tired. These are, these are times when, when you need to be attentive that, that the devil wants to attack you and that you're going to be more susceptible to his, his venom, his, his attack, okay? Um, I need a volunteer. Cliff, can you come up for me? <laughs> you know, as we, as we uh, talk about when, when uh, the devil likes to attack us the most, Cliff, you, you've served on guest services yeah. before, haven't we? And so, Cliff, you're... you're you're serving services, you know, you got saved a few years ago and just trying to serve, serve your heart out for, for the Lord. And uh, man, you're, you're there and, and, you know, welcome to Valley Church, you know, and <laughs> there you are. You, you, got, you got bit by the snake, all right? So there's Cliff. He's, he's suffering, man, okay? And, and he's, yeah, exactly. He's, start, he's starting to, to, you know, get blurry vision, okay? He's starting to think of, he's starting to see himself based upon his past, isn't he? He's seen, man, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not that good of a person. I, I don't really, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if I fit in here. My past is pretty rough. I've done some pretty awful things. You know, and someone comes into, into church and is like, Cliff, what are you doing here? What a hypocrite, man. Like, you don't belong in church. I see you at work, right? Man, you, you don't belong here. And, and you start to get vertigo, okay? And you start to think, man, are all Christians like this? Is all, are all churches like this? So you're getting blurry vision, basing yourself off of your past. You're getting vertigo. You're thinking, man, I, I don't know if I belong in church anymore. And then what happens is you start getting paralysis. And this happens to a lot of us, especially in church. Maybe you've been there before. Someone in church has bitten you. Or maybe you've bitten yourself, and you're like, I can't bring myself to serve anymore. I, I'm not, I'm not going to be there anymore. Uh, it's too painful. It's too hard. And you start getting paralysis, and you're like, I, I'm just going to step away from the church. I'm going to stay away. Let's thank Cliff. <laughs> thank you, Cliff. <laughs> now, can I tell you? That story, I know, is true of many of us, that we've experienced maybe that same thing in our own lives and in the church before. And we start to get blurry vision. We start to get vertigo. We start to feel a paralysis, like, I, I, can't, I can't do it anymore. It's too painful. You know, Satan wants to do that to you. He wants to attack you. He wants to lie to you. He wants to damage you and hurt you and put his poison into you and realize that is an attack from Satan. He wants to stop you from working. It may not be in the church either. It may just be just living your everyday Christian life and you're just trying to be faithful to follow Jesus and you feel like you just keep on getting attacked and attacked and attacked. 
so many of you have stopped working in the purpose that God has for you because you've been bitten by a snake when you've been close to the fire. Let me tell you, walking in your purpose is not a walk in the park. Walking in your purpose is not a walk in the park. If you look at the life of Paul, you'll see, man, when God gave him a purpose for his life, that's when things started getting hard. If God has given you a vision, you're going to face a few things. You're going to face a few things, and God never accomplishes a vision that he gives you the way that you expect. Now, he's going to accomplish it in his way and in his time. You're going to face delay. You're going to face difficulty. You're going to face discouragement, and you're going to face dead ends. And here, here Paul is. He, he's at a dead end. He's like, God, you told me I was going to go to Rome, and I was going to witness to them, but I'm at a dead end. And God will do the same thing in your life. He may bring you to a dead end so that he can show that his power His strength is sufficient in your weaknesses. Tell you this, God loves to turn crucifixions into resurrections. It's easy to use good and bring good out of good, but God wants to bring good out of bad. And so if you're going through some bad in your life right now, just realize that God may be using it to bring good in your life and working his purposes in you. So number one, the snake wants to bite you to stop you from working in his purpose, in the purpose that God has called you to work in. Number two, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. The snake bites you to stop you from worshiping. The snake bites you to stop you from worshiping. Paul is a worshiper, and if you think about his past, he was redeemed of so much. And that led him to just use his hands to worship. You know, if you think about your own life, if you think about about your past, about, about what God has brought you through, or maybe what you're going through right now, Jesus Christ offers you forgiveness and healing in his name. And uh, man, he, he, will, he will take you and he will change you. He will turn your life around. And that is a reason to worship Jesus, okay? But the snake doesn't want you to do that. He doesn't want you to worship God. He wants you to see yourself based upon your past and not as a new creation. He wants, you to, wants to make sure that, that others, you don't see others based upon themselves as a new creation either. He want, wants to keep you from worshiping him. He wants to bite you with shame. He wants to bite you with guilt. He wants to make it so hard for you to lift your hands that you'll just keep them down. That you'll come to church and you're like, yeah, I... I feel guilty. I can't lift my hands anymore. I don't live the way that I should as a Christian. When if you know Christ, he has redeemed you. He has changed your past. And so so you you can live like this. You can live with open hands. You can raise them up and say, Jesus, you know all of me, and you've forgiven me just as I am. I've come to you. The devil wants to stop you from worshiping. He wants to stop you from worshiping. Can I also tell you, it's not, not just others that may do this to you. Oftentimes we do this to ourselves. We tell ourselves lies 
We tell ourselves this is who we are. This is, this, is, this is our identity based upon what we've done in our past. And we have a hard time seeing ourselves the way that God sees us. And I know that's hard sometimes. That even though God forgives and forgets, he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west, it's often hard for us to forgive ourselves and then forgive ourselves for what we have done in the past. And that's why Paul preached this message to himself. He wrote to the Corinthian church, he said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. So live in that. Live in that. The snake wants to bite you to stop you from working. The snake wants to bite you to stop you from worshiping. Third, the snake wants to bite you to stop you from writing. Did you know Paul was a writer? Yeah, in fact, over half of the New Testament, when you, when you read it, over half of the New Testament is letters that Paul wrote to encourage the church. And what, what, this, what this viper did is it, it bit Paul where he was the strongest, didn't he? And can I tell you, Satan is going to want to bite you where you are the strongest. I've even, I've even heard that, that, that our, our strengths are also our greatest weaknesses in, in the inverse, okay? So watch out that Satan will want to bite you where you are strongest. What do you do? What do you do if you're bit by a poisonous snake, though? Satan wants to bite you to keep you from working, from worshiping, and from writing. But what do you do if you're bit by a poisonous snake? This is another section. If you want to start taking notes, this could help you because I did look this up, what to do if you are bit by a poisonous snake. The first thing is this. Don't panic, okay? Some people, I don't understand it. You just panic when there's blood or when there's something bad happens. Okay, I'm usually like, okay, what do we do? Let's deal with it. Don't panic. That's number one. Second thing is this. Shake it off. Shake it off. Okay, so, so if you are bit by a snake, what, what should you do first? Get it off of you, okay? First thing, get that poison, get that venom away from you. As you read in, in verse 5, it says, He, however, he shook it off, he shook the creature off into the fire, and he suffered no harm. Okay, can I tell you, though, some of you, you came here to church, and you've refused to shake this off. You're coming to church and you, you, keep, on, you keep on holding on to, to what is biting you, what, what's, what's putting poison into you. Maybe you're holding on to your past. Maybe you're holding on to some guilt. You're holding on to words that someone has said to you. Maybe, it, maybe it's a father wound. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's an addiction that you keep on identifying yourself in. Whatever it is, I, I don't know what it is for you, but man, you've, you've almost made a pet out of that snake. And what it's doing is it's continually injecting you with its venom. And so your blood is now toxic and you are starting to bite other people that actually love you and care about you. You're, you are lashing out at them. Can I tell you, shake it off. Shake it off. That's what you need to do. Shake that snake off into the fire. Everyone say, shake it off. Shake it off, okay? So don't panic. Shake it off. You've got to forgive, and you've got to move on. Because if you've been holding on to that, that snake that's causing you to be full of poison, 
You're holding on to unforgiveness. You're holding on to a grudge against someone. You're holding on to something that somebody said. Who is it hurting? Yourself. You're putting poison into yourself, into your blood. You've got to forgive. You've got to move on. How do you know if you've forgiven someone? How do you know if you've forgiven someone? I'll tell you what. I went through this when I, when I went through some counseling myself because I, I realized that I'd been holding some unforgiveness. And what he said was this. It's when they don't owe you anymore. When they don't owe you anymore. When you see them and they're like, you're like, yeah, you don't owe me for that. I don't have to get revenge. You know, you've really forgiven if, if you don't even think about it when you're in their presence. Think about this in, in relation to yourself, because sometimes, sometimes our, our issue is that uh, we fail to even forgive ourselves. How do we know if we've forgiven ourselves? When we realize that we, don't, we can't pay for our sin anymore. We don't owe God anything. God has given it freely to us. That will bring freedom into your soul, I hope. When you receive the blood of Jesus. Okay? So, shake it off. Don't panic. Number three, though. What do you do if you're bitten by a snake? Keep the wound below your heart. Okay? And so for Paul, he was bit on his hand, the place that he was strongest, okay? And what they tell you, actually, if you are bitten by a snake is this. Don't isolate your wound. Don't put a tourniquet on your arm to keep the poison from going into the rest of your body. No, don't do that. Okay, because what it needs is it needs the blood flow. Okay, it needs the flow of the blood. Some people think, well, if I isolate it, then, then it, you know, it will keep, keep the rest of my body from getting infected. Actually, that's not, that's not what you need. You need the flow of the blood so that it can recognize that there's a foreign agent there that is dangerous and it cre- can create some antibodies against it. Needs the blood flow. Okay, can I tell you, oftentimes when we are bit by, by the attack of the enemy or bit by other people, our natural tendency is to Cut, off, cut it off. Cut off the flow of blood, right? You know, and, and separate ourselves from people that love us or, you know, especially from the body of Christ and, and even from, from Jesus himself. And what God calls us is he calls us as a church, a body. He does. And so when one, of, one member hurts, Scripture says we all hurt, we all suffer, and we need our body to help us to heal. If you've been bitten, if you are hurting, you feel like there's poison within you, don't cut yourself off from that source of healing. Everyone say, let the blood flow. Let the blood flow. Okay, everybody say, shake it off. Shake it off. Okay. These are the things that Paul did. Now, there's some beautiful things that happen in these next few verses. Verse 7. Verse 7. Now, in the neighborhood of that place, that uh, were lands belonging to chief, the chief man of the island named Publius. That's a great name. Who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. So here we have this man named Publius. He had everything in the world. He had wealth. He had status. He had power, and yet there was something that was wrong in his life. His father was sick. 
And uh, because his father was sick, man, he, he was just so disheartened, man. His father had dysentery, which meant that he was infected on the inside and it was starting to show on the outside. It was clear that he was going to die. And I believe that at this moment, if Paul was questioning why he was washed up on Malta, this is what actually showed him, yeah, this is why I'm here. I've been shipwrecked on this, this place far, far away from where I belong, and yet I'm here. I'm here for one person. I'm here for the Father. This setback was a setup. It was for Paul. And can I tell you, what if on the other side of your shipwreck is someone that only you can heal? Think about that right now. What if on the other side of your shipwreck is someone that only you can heal? Oftentimes, our greatest pain is preparation for our greatest purpose. The pain that you are going through right now, if you can, you can allow the blood of Jesus to heal you, is preparation for your greatest purpose. It may not feel good right now, but man, you are going to be able to help others with it. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. This is Paul writing. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You know what Paul is talking about here? He's talking about how the same hand that is harmed is the same hand that God will then use to heal. That's God's way of doing things. That's the way God works, okay? Now, Begs the question, though, how do you heal from a snake bite? How do you heal from a snake bite? Well, as we read on to verse 28, it says that Paul visited and prayed, and putting his hand on him, he healed him. How do you heal from a snake bite? Okay, this is interesting. If you look this up, man, what you will realize is that when people have a venom that's injected into them, when, when they get bitten by a poisonous snake, that they have actually done some work scientifically to know how to heal from a venom. What they do is they take a healthy patient and they inject a small amount of, of that venom into that healthy patient. And then uh, what they do is they wait for the blood to create antibodies, and then they harvest those antibodies, they purify them, and then take those antibodies and inject them into the patient that has been infected. And because of that, then the body is able to more quickly recognize the venom and be able to combat against it with those antibodies. Isn't that awesome? So literally, the cure from the venom is the venom. Yes. Isn't that awesome? And that, my friends, is what Jesus did for us. There's just this beautiful picture of the gospel right there. Paul wrote about what Jesus did. He said, for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus himself the pure, spotless lamb, took the poison 
took the venom on our behalf. He died. He was crucified on that cross, taking the judgment of God. You know, when, when those islanders would have said, man, justice has not allowed him to live, and Paul realized, man, yeah, Jesus took my justice. That is what he has done for you and I. He took the venom on your behalf. He died, but he didn't stay dead because he created the antibodies in his blood so that when he resurrected, those who receive him will have eternal life and find hope and find healing in his name. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ right there. So everyone say this, the healing is in the blood. The healing is in the blood. What can wash our way our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. It doesn't stop there, though. Because if you have experienced the anti-venom that is offered you in Jesus Christ, if you receive that as a gift that he offers you freely, then you now have the anti-venom in your own blood. And some of you saw my title this morning, the healing is, is in your hands, and you're like, what? You know, healing is in Jesus, can I tell you? Yes, the healing is in Jesus, but he'll do it often through your hands. He will. Because when he injects the antibodies into your blood, then you become an agent of healing as well as you give the gospel to those that are also hurting. The greatest pain that you have gone through can also become your greatest place of healing. What you're going through that may seem like an obstacle is an opportunity that God has put in front of you. Your season of waiting can also become your greatest place of witness. Healing is in the blood. And can I tell you, it's not just for you. As we see evidence of in verse 9, it's also for those that are around you. Because that day, the father was not the only one that was healed. Read on in verse 9. It says, When this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. Healing spread to the whole island. Now, obviously that's the beginning portion of this chapter, and uh, we'd, we'd be here probably another 40, 45 minutes if we covered the rest of it, but can I just summarize the end of the book of Acts? After this island finds healing in the name of Jesus, they're put on a ship. Obviously, they had access to a ship. A ship was able to, to load them up. They said goodbye to Paul as friends, and Paul was sent off to Rome, where he then for two years was chained to a guard under house arrest. Isn't that just God's way, though? Because uh, God used that time of imprisonment for probably the, the greatest two years of Paul's impact, because they're chained to, to that guard that day. Paul wrote the books of Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. And you know, isn't it just the way that Paul would see things and the way that we should also see things? He didn't see himself as chained to a guard. No, he actually kind of saw it as, as that uh, a guard was chained to him. <laughs> because every six hours, he had a new opportunity to share about Jesus Christ. And as he wrote to the churches, he actually, he actually said this, know this, that the things which have happened to me have turned out 
for the furtherance of the gospel. His prison was his pulpit. And the same thing can be true for you. What happens next in the book of Acts? Well, we don't know for sure. There's a lot of history books that will tell you about what happened to Paul, about what, what goes on with, with the early church, about, about what happened to the rest of the apostles. And, and you can do your further study on that. But in reality, as, as we come to the end of this book of Acts, it almost seems like this book almost doesn't have an ending. And I believe that that was on purpose. Because... Uh, as this book comes to an end, the last sentence is that he just was there in prison under house arrest teaching people about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. And that was it. There's no farewell. There's no goodbye. There's no resolution. And I believe that Luke actually did that on purpose because he wanted to show you and I as we read the book of Acts that the story of the church didn't end there. And that as we as Valley Church are reading this book together, that we are Acts chapter 29 of the book of the Acts of the Apostles. That Jesus continues to do his work through Valley Church and through all the churches of God around the globe, advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as we close, why don't we just stand up and... Um, Let's commit what we have learned in this book to our Lord Jesus. And if you feel comfortable, I hope you do. Why don't you just raise your hand and just, just declare this. There's healing in my hands. There is healing in my hands through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that we can sit here and stand here redeemed by his blood. Father, as we close, as we end this service, God, we know that there are so many that have tried to poison us. So many here that have endured so much shame and so much guilt and so much hardship. And so Jesus, by your blood, we receive your gospel. We receive what you've done for us on the cross. And we thank you that there is healing there's hope in your name Jesus as we keep on praying today I know that there are those of you here that uh, may need to receive Jesus right now for the first time if you've never received Jesus before he's the son of God he's the perfect lamb of God who took the wages of sin on your behalf by repenting of your sins and trusting in him scripture says everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved and so if that is you Pray along with me, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need your grace. I believe that you died on the cross to save me. And today, I want to become your child. I receive your blood as payment for my sins. And I now want to walk as your son and as your daughter today. Heal me, Lord, from the inside out. And Lord, use my hands. Use our hands to be an agent of healing in this valley. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you were impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.